Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. I'm here with Gabriel Mizrahi this time around. Hey, Jordan. Hey. Well, thanks for joining us. Of course. Thanks for inviting me back. Here at The Art of Charm, we may not have all the answers, but we certainly have some of the questions. And today on Fan Mail Friday, those questions come from you. If this is your first time listening to The Art of Charm, Fan Mail Friday, it's a great sample of how we operate at AOC, but by no means a full helping of all our show has to offer. Listener interaction is one of my favorite parts of the show. Without this, without you, we would have no show. So our typical content, though, it's much more in-depth with well-known top performers in their field. We work to unpack their methods, their theories, and their hard-earned insights. And these people you either know or you should know. And we use a longer format to help you understand what processes or steps they use, which help them become more successful. And then we distill those concepts to help you apply them to your life. For a great place to start, check out some of our most popular episodes at theartofcharm.com, where you can find the best of, as well as our fundamentals toolbox, which includes what we like to call the basics of mixed mental arts, including topics such as reading body language, nonverbal communication, the science of attraction, negotiation techniques, networking and influence strategies, persuasion tactics, and everything else that we teach here at The Art of Charm. We'll send all that to your inbox if you text CHARMED, that's C-H-A-R-M-E-D, to 33444 here in the States, or just go to theartofcharm.com slash challenge. You can also grab the iPhone app at theartofcharm.com slash iPhone or slash Android. All right, let's cut to it. Gents, I'm a director at a very small company, and I regularly interact with the owner. Let's call him Bill. I don't see a future there, and I've been actively seeking new opportunities. As the company continues to flail, Bill will occasionally discuss with me his plans for the future. The problem is Bill is not a particularly self-aware guy, and he doesn't see how his actions negatively impact the company. Here's an example. I was supporting a customer for about two years when Bill asked me to set up a meeting with the customer and the customer's boss. The customer agreed and set up a date and time. The meeting ended up coinciding with a major program review, and as a result, many other people got unexpectedly pulled in. On the day of the meeting, Bill was half an hour late. As we waited, the customer, his boss, and 20-plus other strap hangers became angry with me for Bill's tardiness. Bill finally arrived, and to my dismay, in a suit that was poorly tailored and also looked like he maybe slept in it. He sat down and put his feet on the meeting table, then started talking about how he had met with someone in the customer's far upper management, so far into the upper management that the people in the room had no idea who Bill was talking about. <laughs> I was so angry. This is so annoying to even this, I read. hate this guy and I don't even know him. Exactly. What a, rough what a boss. weird, weird guy. I was so angry that I became physically ill. 
A couple days later, the customer asked us to visit his office so we could talk with him and his boss. I guess that we were being called on the carpet for Bill's unprofessional behavior. We went to the meeting and we were grilled for an hour. Bill told me later he thought everything went well. I told him I thought we were in big trouble. When our task ended, the customer did not rehire us. Shortly after being notified of this, Bill told me that he thought that not being rehired was a good thing and part of God's plan, since the customer was failing and would make our company look bad. There's a justification yeah, for you. Yeah, jeez. This sort of thing, or something familiar, has happened several times. Bill has several other not-so-good idiosyncrasies. Poor personal hygiene, horrible wardrobe, a lack of awareness of others' body language and social cues. He never stops talking. He's socially isolated himself, he's hardly ever in the office, and a mindset that he's always right and you are always wrong. In the last six months, we've had two long-serving employees quit, and Bill's rationalization is that our CFO is hindering corporate growth. What's hindering growth is Bill's cluelessness. He goes on to say, well, my wife's had encouraged me to have an honest conversation with Bill, but it's like talking to a brick wall, and he's tried it on a few occasions. I would really like to help turn things around in the company as I'm concerned our lack of success reflects poorly on me and my resume. However, I think any attempt to be honest with Bill are totally futile. So here's the question. Do you think I should continue to press him for change based on an honest evaluation of our failings? I don't want to be the guy that constantly argues with Bill. The CFO already is that guy, and it will put me on the shit list. On the other hand, riding the boat anchor isn't really an option either. Warm regards, Dave in distress. Oh, wow. I feel bad for Dave. Yeah, I'm also kind sucks. of excited for Dave to get out of there. Why is that? Why are you excited? For, for him to go onto greener pastures? I mean, is there any other option at this point? No. I don't think so either. Not really. I think he's already decided that this is futile, that there's no point in talking to Bill. It's, it's, uh, it's very unfortunate for him to be stuck in this situation, but the good side is there's no real fence to ride because this is so bad that you have to leave. Right. It's just going to be bad for your career if you stay. There are no mixed signals. It's like, well, we're doing really well. He's just a little difficult. Or, you know, I've only been here six months and I don't really know if like this is Bill's fault. You know, it yeah. sounds like it's pretty, pretty clear. How do we mitigate this? though? Because I think the problem that he's running into is I don't want to quit. And then they go, oh, you worked at Shite Corp. Oh, man, you guys haven't been doing so well for a long time. What do you, <laughs> great, what do you great, think? Terrible company. Name. Yeah. <laughs> Shite Corp. Okay, but he works at Shitecorp, and probably what he's worried about is like he. I think he said in his in his letter that he's concerned that Bill's terrible approach to the business is going to reflect poorly on him. Yeah. So I think it's worth talking about like how to handle that in an interview. And if I were him, if I were Dave, I would be thinking the first thing I would do is I would focus on all the things that went well at Shitecorp, and I don't know how many yeah. of those there are, but it's worth like seriously sitting down and writing them down so you have positive good stuff to talk about in the interview. So the wins, the things that went well, the aspects of the projects that he ran successfully are all really important. And I wouldn't, I would be surprised if there weren't a few of those wins to talk about. It seems like there has to be some something measure of, of positive outcomes that have happened over the past, I don't know, six years or however long he's been there, three years. There has to be something good that came out of it. And even if there's not, there would be lessons that you could point to that you learned, even if those lessons are, well, you know, I've realized that professionalism counts for a lot, which isn't a surprise, but it counts for even more, especially punctuality and having a good wardrobe and customer service and managing expectations. And 
that kind of thing you can kind of say it's instead of talking about how your ex-boss because this is what you don't want to do yeah i worked for this idiot over there named bill you might have heard of him he's such a moron everyone hates him that's one of the reasons i left that reflects poorly on you because reading between the lines, it's, oh, this person doesn't know how to get along with a boss that he disagrees with. That's and if I were sitting across from that guy, I'd be thinking he's going to be saying this about me in three years. Exactly. So the way to not come across as the disgruntled, crazy ex-employee is to talk about all the stuff that was good. Talk about it like any other job where you want to talk about the successes. And when it comes time to talk about why you're leaving or what wasn't so great, you frame it as, but you know what? I saw a lot of things that weren't really right. going that well, things that I wouldn't have done if I were in the same position, and I learned a ton about how I want to really operate in this business. For example, da 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 here's how I would have done it, and I'm excited to bring that to a new company. And it's really hard, I think, if you frame it that way to come across as anything other than responsible. So do you think there is any benefit whatsoever in having a good old sit down with Bill? Well, in his letter, he talked about the fact that, was it, about five years ago, he did have his last honest conversation with Bill when they were fired from another customer for the same reason, and Bill made no changes. And since then, they've been fired for the same stuff from other people. So... I don't know. I don't think I think he's past that. Yeah, it's it's it sounds like this guy is either horribly horribly non-self-aware, which is probably the case, or he honestly doesn't even care. Yeah, I don't think he does, and he won't care until it becomes so bad and even then he might not care because some people just don't want to see the truth. I mean, right. it just sounds like he is a mess. But you know what? Depending, Dave, on how you feel about Bill and if you want to just give him one last gift, if that's how you want to think of it, when you quit this job, you could write him a letter and say, listen, I've worked for you for over five years. I think that I've learned a ton about the business from you. I'm so grateful for this job. I'm moving on. It's time for me to go. And I just wanted to share a few things because I think they might help. And I want you to know that it's coming from nothing but appreciation and love for, for the job you've given me. And then you could tell him in the letter here, you know, very cleanly, clearly, here are the things that, that I thought we need to work on. And for what it's worth, it's something to think about because I think this is why the company isn't doing so well. Yeah, I think he might be onto something. Unfortunately, is there any way that that could bite him in the ass, though? I'm trying to think if there's... Because well, somebody like that might just be like, how dare you? If there's you a know? chance that it'll bite him in the ass, then I don't think he should do it. Yeah. If there's no reason, he, he would only be doing this out of charity. He's not obligated to do it. Yeah. You know, this is one of those things where you're like, uh, if you're doing it to give yourself some sense of gratification, don't do it. If you think that it's in some small way it's going to help and maybe this is what bill needed to to learn to you know he had to quit in order to realize that um to teach his boss that there are some things that need to change then consider it but at this point i think dave's number one priority get out of there it's so strange to me that people who are like that can even get promoted high enough to be in charge of things that are important it it's kind of shocking it's shocking although this could be a small shop and this maybe. could be his own business or something yeah we don't know, but yeah, um, at some point it is going to catch up with him. So get out of there, frame it as a positive learning experience, because honestly, it really is. It is a positive learning experience. It's a po for sure. Either way, even if it was bad, it was positive. And practice your responses with a few trusted friends and colleagues before you take interviews so that you can perfect that balance between talking about the stuff that wasn't so great and still coming across as, you know, responsible and friendly right. and all that. Right. And not just because uh, it you want them to not rattle you or to be able to rattle you because it's very possible that they they say something like, oh, yeah, that guy Bill over there. He is that guy was 
that guy was terrible. And you can go, oh, man, let me just tell you some Bill stories. And then they go, oh, man, he really couldn't wait to talk crap about his old boss. We don't really like that. And even if they bring it up, they can draw you into a trap where they decide, well, that was fun and funny, but we don't want that kind of guy in our organization. That's a really good point. I mean, there's a version of these interviews that he's going to be going on pretty soon where he doesn't have to bring up anything. bad. I mean, if it doesn't come up and it's not essential to the interview, maybe not talking about it is the right move. I think so. If they ask point blank, then you should have a good way to talk about it. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I, I really think that there's a, a large part of me that thinks th- if this doesn't arise and they just say, if, if they say, why are you leaving? And you say it was time for a change. And they go, yeah, fair enough, whatever. Right. Let it go. Yeah, totally. So, all right. Well, good. Good luck, Dave. And hopefully you won't have to deal with somebody just like Bill in your new position. Although, Let us know how it goes, though. I would yeah. love to hear a follow-up letter about how he handled this in the interviews. Yeah. And there's always a Bill, though. There's always somewhere, be a Bill. Somewhere in the organization. But I bill. don't know if there's ever going to be a Bill who was as Billy as that Bill. That Bill was pretty Billy. That's for sure. All right. Question number two. Hey guys, I have a dilemma and I would like your input, please. For background, I'm a 27-year-old Finnish man from Finland, to avoid any confusion here, and I'm about to graduate with a master's degree from a university. I have a wife and we would like to move on to the next step in life. With this, I mean buying our own house, having kids, and so forth. We've kind of been putting this off until I graduate in hopes that my salary would increase. That's ideally how that works. My wife has a good job, but I'm the problem here, I think. The issue is with the education I have. There's literally almost zero jobs available in the field. Literally almost zero. That means there's some. I studied agricultural sciences, important stuff, but most of the jobs are in the public sector and the economy is not good. There are some jobs in the private sector, but the competition is tough for them also. This has led to a situation where the government agencies I should work for are not hiring that much, and if they are, I'm left out in the cold trying to compete against doctors for research jobs. Not a good situation. I know I'm not yet quite finished with school, but I'm so close that it should not matter that much, at least in a good economy. I'm also not sure of my job skills, and I feel like the university hasn't prepared me for the job enough since I lack a background in agriculture being a city boy myself. Also, I was kind of a lazy student, so I'm lacking in confidence. My current job is a dead-end job that a trained monkey could do. I've been here years since it's the same job I used to work part-time while in school. I've been full-time for a few years now since I haven't had any classes to attend to. The pay is crap, but I try to keep my expenses pretty low so I can get by pretty well. The only positives I can think about my current job are the fact that my colleagues are nice and that I've been able to listen to AOC for seven hours a day while there. (laughs) I like that accidental testimonial. Yeah, that's awesome, though. What should I do? I'm afraid that I've wasted six years pursuing this education in hopes of a good job and salary, but it's all for nothing. Honestly, I'm getting really anxious if I'm ever going to get a decent job with a decent pay, and it's starting to affect me psychologically. I'm going to finish my degree and continue to apply, but I feel like I'm being out-competed for any jobs not specifically related to my field. And it's pretty specific. I'm afraid I'm stuck in my current job and will still be applying for jobs in my field five years from now with less of a chance of getting one with each passing month. I've been thinking about going back to school for something else like business or coding, but I'm not sure about either one. I don't have a passion for coding and I suck at math, but there is a demand for coders. I can see myself getting interested in business, but I think there's already too many people with a bachelor of business degree in the market. On the other hand, I've been thinking about learning a trade like plumbing or maybe even electrical work. With business school or coding, it means four more years of school, but I could use some of it in conjunction with my current education. If I learn a trade, I can most likely apply for an internship, which means I would learn on the job and get a degree on the way. 
I like to do stuff with my hands and I'm a practical person, but honestly, plumbing wasn't something I would have thought about doing five years ago. Thanks for all you do and thank you for taking the time to read this. In desperate need of your help, failing Finnish biologist. I like this guy. Me too. I don't know why. I think he's he's trying to solve the problem. He's not just whining. I think, That's he, why. I think he's trying to solve the problem and he's clearly a thoughtful, nice person, which is going to go a long way for him. But he's stuck in a situation and I think he is, it sounds to me like he's feeling overwhelmed and now getting into a point of hopelessness. And when you get to that point, it's really hard to see solutions. You can only see the obstacles. So I think it's worth talking about why those obstacles seem so big to him right now. He thinks that he has to move on to the next step, which is get a wife and kids, although he's 27. He's 27, which is young, I think. So I don't want to make any judgments about you're too young to worry about this because I want to I want him to do what he wants to do. Well, he does have a wife, but he and his wife together want to take the next step. So I think that's already creating a lot of pressure. I think so. Yeah, I think it's more like maybe they feel like they're on a timeline that they're not on. And that's okay. Good. Fine. That said, Finland has universal health care from what I understand. So if your wife gets pregnant, you don't have to be wealthy to have a baby in Finland. You, you, your child will be okay. When the child gets older, you'll want a better career so you can provide for that high school and eventually university age kid, a teenager. But you don't have to be wealthy, wealthy to support a, a burgeoning family, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, it's worth talking about how much of this of the stress is self-induced and how much of it actually exists. Right. Like, I totally understand having a wife and wanting to build that life. But dude, you're 27. Like, it's okay. You're going to be okay if you take the right steps now and start building something yeah. for yourself. But I, I think I, I didn't even really pick it up the first time you read it through. But you're so right that, like, let's just acknowledge that the, he's probably feeling a lot more stress, which is not going to help him come up with the right approach just by putting a lot of that lifestyle stuff on himself. Also, it sounds like there's a sunk cost fallacy happening here mm -hmm. where he's like, well, I'm almost done with this degree, so I got to finish it and I got to find a job in this field. Double Look, down on that. Double down. Yeah. I, I have a law degree. I don't use it in a law legal capacity. I'm not a lawyer. I technically am, I guess, but I don't practice law. But I, I use some of the skills, and if I had to go back to work, I probably wouldn't get a job at a law firm, but I would certainly try to use my law degree in some fashion. Mm. And I would do it in the skill stacking way that Scott Adams talked about when he was on Art of Charm, which is, look, you, you say, oh, there's so many people that have business degrees, even though I'm interested in it, there's too many people on the market. There might be plenty of people with business degrees, but are there people with business degrees and agricultural science degrees? No, there are not. That's a unique set of skills that you can stack together to make yourself stand out much more than somebody who just has a business degree. So still st skill stacking might give him a way to think about combining some unusual interests of his into a new combination. Exactly. And I would definitely recommend reading the new post that went up on the blog recently. I believe it's called The Key to Being a Success or The Secret to Success Become a Contradiction. Um, which is a great article about how to use still stacking and talent stacking to your advantage. But I think, Jordan, there's something going on here that we need to talk about, which is separate from what his specific career choice is, which is that I don't think he cares that much about this field. Like, it doesn't sound it to doesn't me, sound like he's interested. I don't in think it, right? he's into it. And if he were into it, even if he were like passionate about it, even if he didn't think it was going to be his whole life. I don't think he would be looking at the the number of jobs as such an obstacle. I think he would be saying, 
I've chosen to do this thing. I'm really into agricultural science. There aren't that many jobs for it. So I'm going to fight like hell to get one of them. Like, you know, that's the attitude you have when you really care about something. Yes. You're like, I'm going to make it work at any cost. Yes. So the fact that he doesn't want to fight for those very few jobs available in the field tells me that he probably doesn't want to do this thing. So I'm curious to know more about this interest he has with, uh, in working with his hands. Like, I don't know what that means. I mean, he says, you know, I wouldn't have considered plumbing until recently. He's probably considering it somewhat out of desperation because sure. he doesn't know what to do. Sure. But that tells me that there's something mechanical and tactile about his interests that could go in so many different directions. And maybe one of those directions becomes a stack with agricultural sciences. Maybe one of those directions is a standalone career. Maybe it's plumbing. Maybe it's not. I'm not sure. We can't answer that question for him. But I think at 27 years old, you are still in a place to really take a step back and reconsider what do I want my life to be about? And it's so obvious from this email that it's not agricultural science. It definitely isn't because, like you said, otherwise he would be competing for those spots tooth and nail instead of going, ah, oh, it's hard to get a job in this field. I don't really want to try. The other part of the, the letter that we have to talk about is that he, he says himself that he thinks he's a lazy student. And he yes. did he say I'm a lazy student and that's why my self-confidence is low? Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting thing because I'm not totally sure that that's the right diagnosis. I mean, you might be a lazy student and you might have low self-confidence, but your low self-confidence might be making you a not so ambitious student. Th there, that's for sure true. And also, I think that people go, well, I'm a lazy student because I don't like this field. But they don't finish that sentence. They go, well, I'm a lazy student. Yeah, I was a lazy student, too, in undergrad because I didn't want to be a biological anthropologist or a, a statistician or whatever dumb classes I was taking. So I did the minimum to get by in that field. And even in law school, there were some classes where I was like, oh, I'm super into this. And there were other classes where I'm like, Ugh, I just have to slog through this crap. And even now, when I find myself doing show prep and I'm really interested in the guest, I'm reading everything I can about the subject. I don't think I'm being lazy, but then there are other times where I'm reading a book and I go, oh, God, I have to finish this, and then I've got to read that, and then I go, wait, wait, wait. I'm not a lazy person. I'm not a lazy person, so what's going on with this show prep? Maybe this isn't a good fit. I'm not interested in this person. I'm not not interested in prep. I'm not interested in this person's book and this person's work. That's a good, that's a signal that you're in the wrong concentration. Mm -hmm. For me, it means I just pass on that guest and say, ah, oh, look, we decided to go in a different direction. For you, it might mean that you were never supposed to really study this stuff. Yeah. If he can apply that mindset to his own life, then he might actually be able to use this as a springboard into something he actually cares about. It's worth calling out, though, that it is possible that he's just not working that hard, no matter what the True. field is. Yeah, it is it possible. could be that. We it don't, could be that. We don't know Finnish biologists that well, so it's hard to say. But I think there are two separate things going on here. One is what kind of guy you are. Like you might have confidence issues. You might have some work ethic issues. It's possible. And it's worth working on those independently. But I think a lot of that stuff falls into place when you find something you love. So I think find that thing that you love. And if you find it and you work reasonably hard at it and you're excited about it and it, I mean, it's, it's, I know it sounds easy and it's a little bit. It's a little bit easy to say and a lot harder to live, but all the other pieces really do start to fall into place. And if you start projecting yourself into that five year, 10 years in the future where you're like, I need a wife who has kids with me and we need the house and we need the lifestyle and you haven't figured out 
the thing that you can imagine waking up every day and wanting to do so that you can have that lifestyle, then you're putting the cart before the horse and you're not going to get anywhere because you're already trying to back yourself into a lifestyle that you only really can sustain and enjoy when you've found the thing that your life can be about. Yeah. That seems to me priority number one. I think, though, it's I don't want people to confuse this with follow your passion or something like that. It's mostly you, you can find something that you're interested in and become passionate about it. You won't probably become passionate about something that you actually don't like at all before you've even started. I agree with that. So that's that's the fine line, because I don't want people to think, well, if it's not my dream job, I'm clearly not meant to do it. I've got to find my dream job. I, I don't believe in that at all. No, but I think you can bring a layer of that passion to something professional, even if it's not your, you know. Right. I'm not saying he needs to stop doing agricultural science and start a microbrewery because his favorite thing in the world is beer. That's not necessarily the answer. It might be, but it's not the answer. But I think he can find, you know, his angle in the worlds that he's already traveling in. And if he does, then then I think he can be good at it because he sounds like a nice and uh, and self-aware dude. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash charm. Just go to Indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Next up, dear Jordan and Gabriel, I've been a listener for years and love the show. I like both the long format interviews and the diversity and brevity of Fan Mail Friday. Well, we'll do what we can. (laughs) Not today. Not today. The long-windedness today. I would credit a lot of your content with helping me build the life I have in Anchorage, Alaska. I'm a single 31-year-old female. Wow, there's not many of those in the Anchorage, Alaska. Yeah, interesting. I have a house, a job, a car, a dog, an awesome group of friends and mentors, and an endless playground in my backyard. Yeah, if you, I mean, if you live in Alaska, you have Canada as your backyard. The problem is I feel like I'm living an inauthentic life and I want to be closer to my family. I'm in a solid financial position and could even move myself to the lower 48 if necessary. Nashville, Tennessee is my target location. I haven't 100% figured out my target job yet. 
I'm currently in commercial real estate, and lately certain stress and feelings are manifesting in a way that seems like my gut is trying to tell me to get out. Also, the economy isn't looking good for the next five years or so up here. Basically, I could just up and quit and move myself down there and stay with family until I found a job and got settled, but I'm not quite there yet. I still want to move slowly and explore options. So this really is a three-part question. One, how do I get potential employers to see past my current location and or communicate that relocating is a priority and I'm willing to negotiate, especially when it looks like I'm doing a complete 180 in position and field? Two, can you offer any non-creeper ways of connecting with people from so far away? I don't have many connections in Nashville and I don't just want to send LinkedIn in-mail to HR folks out of nowhere. And three, what are your thoughts on contacting slash utilizing a recruiter? Thanks for any advice you can offer. You have a great way of putting things in perspective and keeping it real. Much love to AOC, signed, ready to relocate. What do you think, Gabe? So we have a woman who lives in Alaska who has a pretty cool life from what it sounds like. She has a dog, she has a car, she has financial independence at this point. Awesome group of friends and mentors. She has nature. I'm assuming she loves nature. It sounds like a pretty good life, but something is telling her that it's time to move on and she has her eyes set on the South, Tennessee, right? And what she's wondering is how she's going to make the professional transition to this place, but what's missing from her note is what it is she wants to do. She says, I haven't 100% figured out my target job yet, which is perfectly fine, but it sounds like she's worrying about things that you don't really need to worry about until you figure out what it is you want to do. So when she talks about how to get a potential employers to see past my current location or communicate that relocating is a priority, to me, that's not going to be the problem. No. That's not a challenge. I mean, if you find a job you like and they like you, you will make it happen. You'll move there. They'll move you there. You guys will figure all that out. That, those are details. But your way into connecting with people when you live so far away is going to depend on what you want to do. And so right now she's in real estate. That's her world. It's unclear if she wants to stay in real estate or she wants to move into a totally new industry. But I would start by working with what she has and start using those communities to reach out to people in the South. And it might take some time and it might take a few moves like, oh, I know somebody in Arizona who does real estate. That person might know somebody a little farther east. And before, you know, it takes a few months to get to the people you really want to talk to. But that's how it works. And in terms of doing that in a non-creeper way. I mean, there's nothing creepy about reaching out to people in your industry and just saying, hi, this is who I am. This is what I do. I noticed that you're selling XYZ properties. I've done some of that here. I noticed that this worked really well for what it's worth. I wanted to share that. And before you know it, you're talking to people whom you didn't know. And it's really not creepy at all. So that part to me doesn't seem difficult. I mean, yeah, it takes some work, but you can listen to all of those AOC Toolbox episodes. You can download all of the the PDFs and the worksheets, you can... Yeah, the take, Social Capital Challenge has stuff like this. I, that's such a good idea. She should totally get a subscription to the Social Capital course and apply it to moving to Tennessee. Yeah, that's kind of it's why we designed that, was networking and relationship development. And in that course, there is a framework for um, navigating the job search using AOC's Social Capital philosophy. So do that and see what happens. I, I have a feeling it'll help. But that still leaves us with the question, what it is you want to do. And I think she needs to solve that before she worries about all this other stuff. And frankly, the last but not least, side note, using a recruiter, not weird. No, great idea. There's almost no downside. You don't pay them. The company that hires you pays them. The, as long as you're working with a good recruiter who's yeah. responsible and professional, then why not? I mean, that's basically an ambassador for you who can exactly. help you move into another field in another city. And they'll also help smooth out some of the employers concerned. Oh, well. Does she want to relocate? Yeah, we've had a long conversation about it. She's willing to relocate. 
And they'll believe the recruiter because the recruiter doesn't want to burn relationships with hiring managers from different companies. Right. So a recruiter would is, is actually incentivized to be more honest about that because they're not just trying to get you hired. They're trying to get hundreds of people hired over the next 20 years. Totally. Totally. So. I actually, it's funny. She, I think she seems to think that reaching out to strangers and using LinkedIn is creepy. And like, let's be honest, a LinkedIn in mail is not the warmest, friendliest format yeah. to get a letter in. Sure. But if I got an in mail on LinkedIn and it was written in a friendly way and I could tell that somebody really like sounded human and really put some thought into that note, I'm not going to care if it came through LinkedIn. And I think if I remember correctly, LinkedIn makes it really easy for you to like hit reply and respond to their email straight away. Yeah. Without having to go back through LinkedIn. So it's really just one tiny little step removed from being in communication with somebody. So I wouldn't get too self-conscious about that. Social capital. I think she needs to take that course. That's yep. going to open up a lot of possibilities. And you can dip your toes in the water at theartofcharm.com slash challenge. That's where we have the social capital challenge. And you can even look at the product. It's social, theartofcharm.com slash social. There's a page there that kind of explains what the course is about. But yeah, this is really, it's, it's a lot easier, but I think you're right. She's putting the cart before the horse. She doesn't even necessarily know what she wants to do. And that's what's got to happen before you start planning the logistics. Some of these questions actually, Gabe, remind me of the contradictions article. You mentioned that earlier. Yeah, I, I, it's so funny you say that because when we were reading a bunch of the the emails, I felt like one of the common themes was like, I'm doing this, but I really want to be doing that. Right. Or like, I do this and that, but I don't know how to connect them. Or I haven't figured out what my this but that is yet, but I want to move somewhere and do that. Uh, one of the best pieces that AOC has published is this new piece on the blog called The Secret to Success Become a Contradiction or be a contradiction. And uh, I just, I think that's a great read for any listeners who are interested in figuring out what their unique spin or angle or combination of skills is. It's a really interesting way to think about how to be interesting to employers, interesting to other human beings, exciting to yourself and, you know, building a, a, an unusual career. And uh, in the piece, Jordan, you talk a lot about how you accidentally ended up doing that in your own life by combining being a lawyer with broadcasting, with coaching, which is an unusual confluence of skills and, and, and influences. But you've built it into something that very few other people can do. So it's worth studying, I think, for a lot of the people who wrote in today. Yeah, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. It's not super complex. It's just a really cool set of concepts that frankly turns what I think a lot of people think is a disadvantage into an advantage. Oh, well, you know, I know a lot about this and that and the other thing, but it's just kind of this big hot salad bowl of skills that doesn't make a lot of sense or interests that don't make a lot of sense. That stuff makes you more interesting. It's kind of the other side of the skill stacking coin mm -hmm, where totally. they might not be complementary in obvious ways, but they're, they're complementary in non-obvious ways. I've been thinking a lot about like, what is the difference between having that salad of skills, that like laundry list of things you're interested in, right. and then being a true talent stack? And I think the thing that makes the difference is having a goal that ties those things together. So the development of those different skills and interests can come randomly. I think usually they do. Like, let's go back 10 years, 15 years. Like, you wouldn't think, oh, I'm going to be a lawyer. Then I'm going to learn how to broadcast. And then I'm going to learn how to use both of those things with my desire to coach and study psychology and become, you know, a podcast host and do really well. Yeah, like, of course. So you don't consciously develop them, but you can start to connect them up in a logical way when you decide to apply them towards one or two or three like very specific goals. So like the woman who wrote in from Alaska who wants to move and maybe make a career change, but go to this new city. 
that is a perfect opportunity to be like, okay, I'm the only person who loves real estate and is really good at it, but also understands, I don't know, nature or something like that. Yeah, so, or, or even just the market in Alaska. Or even the market in yeah. Alaska. Or let's even take a bigger, like, take an even bigger step back. I know how to sell. So, okay, I can sell real estate, but I also love nature. Great. What other things require somebody who understands both of those things? And that's your talent stuff. Yeah. You didn't develop them on purpose. But the moment you start to connect them up and be like, okay, how can I do that in Tennessee? Now you have a reason to develop the stuff. I'm going to, we're going to get a letter from her in three months. It's like, I've, I'm in working in marketing and sales at North Face or REI or something like that. Yeah. And you know what? After that happens, you're like, of course that of course. was, was going to happen. You can't see it in advance, but it's so much fun to start applying it and seeing how your life yeah. evolves. So I think that's definitely a great piece to check out. I highly recommend it. So we will link to that again in the show notes. The secret to success be a contradiction. Look, we don't cover health on the show, but this is important. Don't wear Bluetooth devices all day and all night. I've seen a lot of people, especially with the AirPods, those new Apple headphones, and a lot of wearables. People are sleeping in those things. Look, the science is still kind of out. A lot of people think, oh, it's fine. You know, there's, there's radiation in the environment. And that's true, right? We don't really fully understand the ramifications of having electrical transmitters and devices wrapped around us and in our ears 24-7. I don't for a second, I don't think that having them in general is going to kill you. I don't think you're going to get cancer because you listen to AirPods at the gym. But it's not really worth it. Why are you sleeping with the phone next to your head? I don't know. Something about that just viscerally bugs me a little bit. I totally agree. And I mean, we're not scientists. So, you know, take this with a grain of salt. But I think it's just logic. Like these technologies have not been around for that long the reward of doing for doing it for having this next to you and on your body at all times is zero there's nothing there's no reason to do it so just get in the habit of using airplane mode at night uh and look people go what about emergencies fine keep your phone in another room loud enough that you can hear it it's just there's so many different things that you can do you just don't want to find out in five years that you're screwing with the, the cellular activity. And I'm not getting this because I've been reading too much crap on Facebook. I've been hanging out with a lot of doctors and there's a lot, the majority of them say, yeah, I don't do that. I mean, we, there's some studies that say this and there's some studies that say that, but I personally never have my phone. And I'm thinking, all right, well, if even these highly skeptical medical professionals are thinking that they're, they should change their habits just in case, I realize my parents don't think about that stuff. Growing up in Michigan, we didn't think about Maybe your cell phone is doing this. It just sounds like hyperbole. So just keep those those transmitters off, and uh, you know don't wear don't wear that stuff waiting for calls. Anyway, hope you all enjoyed that. Don't forget, you can email us at friday at theartofcharm.com to get your questions answered on the air. I keep everyone anonymous, so you can either make up your own funny name or we can do it. Uh, it does seem like we're a little bit less creative than you all, so just keep that in mind when it comes to the the funny fake names. Or if you have feedback for us for the show. We are fans of strong opinions loosely held. So we love to argue like we're right, but, you know, listen like we're wrong. So don't be shy to hit us up over here. And if you've got your own advice for some of the people you've heard from today, let me know. If it's something that can help everyone, I might even read it on the show. Quick shout outs to, oh, you'll love this, Gabriel, Jay Moore and Owen Benjamin, both comedians that listen to Art of Charm. Yeah, great guys. Yeah. Are you in a strange land listening to my familiar voice? If so, hit me up. I would love to shout you out. I'd love to hear from you either way. I'm on Twitter at The Art of Charm, and it's a great way to engage with the show. Also, don't forget, we mentioned before the Art of Charm Challenge. Text the word charmed, charmed, 
to 33444 in the States. Or you can just go to theartofcharm.com slash challenge. We're teaching you step-by-step, becoming better at making personal and professional connections, becoming a better networker, reaching out and as she called it, non-creeper ways, and increasing your social capital, your charisma. It's for both guys and gals, and it's free. So check that out. Charmed, C-H-A-R-M-E-D. Text that over to the number 33444 or go to com slash challenge. More from AOC at theartofcharm.com, including info on our live residential boot camps. Those we run every single week here in L.A. If you really want to dig into this stuff and work on your AOC skills with us as your coaches, go to theartofcharm.com slash boot camp. Now, stay charming, get out there and connect and leave everyone better than you found them. It's a rapski.